welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what Christian sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire. Through Christian scripture and our various traditions, what guidance can we find and imagination can we practice as white folks about our role in resistance and showing up in practices of repentance and liberation? My name is Reverend M. Jade Kaiser. My pronouns are they, them, and I am one of three co-directors and a co-founder of a collective called Enfleshed, where we create and facilitate spiritual nourishment for collective liberation. I'm recording this episode on the land of the Iowa, Oto, Meskwaki, and Sauk people, currently referred to by some as Iowa City, Iowa. This podcast is a project of Surge Faith and is particularly designed for white Christians. White Christians talking to other white Christians about race and white supremacy, about being a part of returning and tending all relations. We believe white Christians have a responsibility to commit ourselves to resisting white supremacy, to speaking up and showing up and disrupting white supremacy where we find it, especially through the Christian tradition. Any of us white folks who have grown up with a relationship to Christianity, whether conservative, liberal, evangelical, or progressive, have inherited Christian-specific facets of white supremacy that we have the power and responsibility to unlearn and imagine anew, including our conception of the divine. We do this work remembering we are building up a new world. This live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's song for the Freedom Movement is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado in December 2014, led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. While we are not quite to Advent yet, but our text today does point us in that direction. A time of preparation, of active waiting and anticipating, a time of paying attention and to building some routines that will ready us for a new way of life. And so today, to ground us, I share some words from Enfleshed about just this orientation. Join me in taking a long, slow breath and receive these words about the season that will soon be with us. Season of waiting. Season of active preparation, radical play, and sacred pretendings we practice the future making the impossible possible with the fearlessness of children unrestrained by the stale logics of what is. A divine invitation extends. Do not be afraid. Try on dreams of tomorrow. Experiment with and for each other, moving together imaginatively in conflict and rest and material distribution. We play until practice makes possible. Counter-performance constructs a counter-reality. Community preparing the way. This is the time to try on the world to come, to bring it closer one small, ordinary practice at a time. Practice, practice, practice. Neither a new way nor a new world will come to us all at once. Not quickly, not without failures, not without patience and determination, but through holy repetition. 
radical rituals of hope and curiosity, of learning and unlearning, mending and repairing, inventing alternative habits of power that construct life anew. Divinity takes on flesh. Salvation draws near. now the reading of our text for today, Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 through 13 with slight adaptation. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came, also saying, Please, please, open to us. But he replied, Truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So, Matthew 25, it follows a chapter dedicated pretty much entirely to Jesus pointing to what many, many Christians refer to as the end times. I think one of the most important disruptions we can bring to some of the dangers of interpretations of ends of the world come by way of shifting from thinking and speaking about the end of the world and toward instead the end of a world, or maybe our world, or perhaps others' worlds. What is a world, then? It is not a planet. It is not the preciousness of life that moves on earth or beyond it. It is a contextual thing. It is a culture. It is a reality. It is a set of systems and values, and there are so many worlds among us. And historically in the scripture, we're reading from the perspective of the ancient Jewish world. Worlds, actually, better, uh, because of course there are multiple views and eras and histories within our set of scriptures, even from just the perspective of ancient Jewish worlds. To speak of the coming kingdom to speak of a change in era, to speak in a new about a new world was not about leaving earth behind, but about the dawn of freedom, long-awaited freedom. 
the removal of occupying and dominating forces that squelched the life of ancient Jewish people and communities and other marginalized peoples. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus speaks to his prediction of the coming destruction of the temple. Back in the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah spoke to the coming destruction of the first temple. He witnessed and pleaded and provoked those in power. He wanted to change the not inevitable trajectory of the future by calling people to account for their actions or non-actions, especially those in power or with influence. He wanted to change what was to come if things continued as they were. The destruction of the first temple by outside dominating forces was an unspeakably traumatic experience. It separated the Jewish people from each other, called into question basic identities, culture, the very nature of God. And now in this text, in the era of which Jesus is living, Herod had just re-rebuilt the second temple, where, where the first had been laid bare. And in a time where we have seen holy sites, whether gay dance clubs, synagogues, mosques, black churches, and other sacred places be desecrated through violence, physical and spiritual, we can maybe, maybe begin to find our hearts getting just the smallest glimpse of how significant it might have been, have felt to rebuild or even re-rebuild. And here we have Jesus suggesting that this, uh, prior to this in chapter 24, Jesus suggesting that this very rebuild will once again be torn down. Can you imagine the heaviness of such a proclamation? What reason would Jesus have to make such a suggestion? I do not think it has much to do with a divine being whispering secretly into his special ear. I think it is far more about the practice of those tuned in, yes, to the divine wisdom, but found not outside of our worlds, but within them, paying attention to what's happening. Where are people mobilizing for freedom and how? How do they or we imagine transformation will occur? What forces of domination are active and what are they up to and why? What are the vulnerabilities of the time and for whom? What are the hoped for outcomes among different people and what actions are they taking or not taking right now? For Jesus, of course, he has his eye on the Roman Empire. He is immersed in the life and death of his people. He is wandering the land and talking with Gentiles too. He knows the suffering that surrounds. He knows the strength and the hope that is being nurtured. He is piecing together the life around him like a puzzle, and he sees that things will erupt in the not-too-distant future. His faith grounds him in the belief that there will be sites of potential for good in that eruption or at least in the aftermath of it, but he also knows enough to know that there will be deep 
deep pain. There will be suffering. There will be questions and there will be, again, the need to rethink everything just as was necessary after the destruction of the first temple. The parable of the bridesmaids is for all of us who find ourselves living on the edge of an era. How do we live before freedom comes? How do we live when destruction looms, but hope still calls upon us? There are ten bridesmaids waiting for the bridegroom. Five are called foolish and five are called wise. Understanding this to be a story pointing to a day when the conflict would unfold, whether that's between militaries or God or good and evil or another configuration of forces, depending on who you ask. And hopefully, freedom is found on the other side. Some prepare and some do not. Some scholars believe the oil is meant to represent what Christians often refer to as good works, what we might understand as patterns and practices of taking care of each other, sharing food, sharing resources, building communities of belonging and care, nurturing our spiritual growth so that we have the courage, the resolve, the hope, the love to resist when domination comes to bear, the stuff that makes up our faith. The foolish had no oil with them. The wise had flasks of it. But the awaited time was delayed, says verse 5, and all of them became drowsy. We do grow weary waiting, some weary in heart, some weary in body, some weary in faith, some weary in the attention we are willing to offer. How we grow weary depends much on our social locations and privileges, but they all, we all, grow weary. But in the midst of their drowsiness, something shocked them awake. Suddenly, the time to act was immediate. Though they had grown used to feeling like there would be all the time in the world, suddenly that was not the case. Those who had not prepared wished to draw upon the preparation of the others, but they wouldn't have it. And when they went to buy oil, they missed the bridegroom altogether. They missed the chance to enter the banquet. They missed the chance to have their deepest longings met because they did not prepare. This chapter will continue with variations on this theme, eventually leading to the separation of the sheep and the goats and the famous lines about welcoming the stranger and sharing a cup of water. These are acts of preparation, acts that hold their own value and also are practices for the new age, the new world we want to know that we must believe is coming. We labor to achieve it together. A refrain I draw upon to ground me in the season of Advent is that practice makes possible. We practice the things we wish to see in the world on a grander scale. There can be no end to a world of domination unless we are practicing a world where mutual care and protection 
flourish at the center of our values. We bring the new world into being by readying ourselves for it, by practicing it into possibility. Keep awake, Jesus says. We do not know when the worlds we live in will erupt with conflict. I sure feel the significance of this text in regards to eruption of the worlds of those living in Israel and Palestine. Those who in Palestine have had their entire lives, their entire worlds turned upside down by bombs and starvation and dehydration and struggle. Whatever their world will look like in the future, it is hard to imagine how many of us, especially white Christians in the United States, would be welcome into their freedom banquets. So many of us not tending our good works, having not prepared our hearts, our faith for moments such as these, not coming with practices of love and humanity that resist dominance and occupation in all its forms on the ready. I think about how the struggle of Palestinians is entangled with the struggle of all life, the freedom and flourishing of Jewish kin, the lands across the earth being objectified, black freedom, trans thriving, an era of genuine rest and recovery from long periods of colonization and capitalist exploitation throughout the earth. In Mark chapter 13, verse 8, when Jesus is doing a similar predicting, he says, For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is, the, this is but the beginning of the birth pangs. While the climate crisis indeed invites us to take earthquakes quite literally, I imagine his notion was more a shaking in the foundation of life as people knew it. Worlds have ended over and over and over, and it is so often a deeply sorrowful destruction. And there is so much sorrowful destruction occurring right now in Palestine, in the Congo, in Sudan, at the hands of the United States, where sorrowful destruction is also taking place among and between and around us, smaller scales but no less serious. And in the spirit of the prophets, many among us aim to pay attention to the signs and symbols of our own worlds on edge. There is talk of infrastructure that may collapse, lands that are struggling under the costs of capitalism, water shortages, wars, and we of faiths of many, many kinds across the globe resolutely must acknowledge these days of sorrow and those yet to come while knowing, while trusting, while believing that in the spirit of preparation, God will not let that be the end of the collective story, but we must play a part in making it so. We practice our good works now. We call ceasefire. We call for justice that leads to peace. We stay awake. We keep watch. We practice all that we hope will be possible in the days of freedom. We do not give up 
on the days of freedom. We do not give in to destruction as inevitable. We refuse on the ground of our faith to cave to lasting despair, even as we wade into sorrowful waters that feel they may drown us from one corner of the earth to the other. We commit to practices of life, practicing until life becomes possible and a new world is born again with and for each other. May it be so. In this week's call to action, I invite you to spend some time thinking about collective life five years from now. What is one thing you imagine could be happening by then that feels out of alignment with the world you desire to see birthed? Paying attention to the signs and symbols active now in your community, what do you foretell? Is it a hoarding of resources? Water scarcity, more gun violence, new practices of racial supremacy. Think of one thing you find probable, ugly as it may be. And then think about a counter practice. Mindful water usage, resource sharing, a small practice of abolition. Get concrete, get intentional. Commit to a small practice that you can normalize in your life, practicing the possibility of that becoming something larger, scaling into spheres of life larger than your own, building and birthing the world you long for by preparing for it now, maybe starting tomorrow, maybe it is your Advent practice. Thank you always for joining us. We'd love to hear from y'all and especially folks of color and non-Christian folks by commenting on our SoundCloud or Twitter or Facebook pages or filling out the survey on our podcast page at surge.org. Give us a like or rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you check out our podcast. You can find out more about Surge at surge.org where you can sign up for Surge Faith updates and find transcripts for every episode, which include references, resources, and action links. Next week, we'll have a resistance word from Reverend Liz Carney. And finally, so much gratitude for the work of our sound editor for this episode, Claire Hitchens, who makes this magic happen. Thank you, Claire. And may we be among the wise ones who pay attention, who prepare our minds, our hearts, our spirits, our bodies for challenging times collectively. May we build into our lives deep practices of care, deep knowledges of love, deep commitments to solidarity. May this work be our hope so that each time someone's world is coming to an end, we are ready to act, to companion, to practice courage with and for each other. Take care, dear ones. <laughs>